0: Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here, as always, with the lovely Tina Spring. And today, we are very excited. Of course, we say that about all our guests, but we get really (laughs) excited about our guests with Dr. Lori, you really
0: Cesario. mean it about you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll pretend. Uh, with Dr. Lori Cesario, she is a board certified veterinary oncologist currently living in Southern California, but we won't hold that against her. Um, she's originally from Long Island, which we also won't hold against her because I know two exes <laughs> that's right. But wonderfully, she got her Bachelor of Science in Animal Bioscience from Penn State. She worked in a lab at Cornell University, developing mouse models of human prostate and mammary cancers, amongst other things. Then she attended Ross University Veterinary School with a clinical at the University of Wisconsin. She completed two one-year internships at the University of Illinois, followed, and this is my very favorite, which is why I'm forgiving you for the California-New York connections, An oncology specialty internship at North Carolina State, and then this is the best one. She returned to the Midwest for an oncology residency at Michigan State University, home of the Spartans. I have to say, I'm from (laughs) Michigan. I grew up as a a Michigan State fan, so um, go Spartans. I know that this won't fly in Buckeye country. But beyond that, she is committed to maintaining a high quality of life in patients that are feeling well, in improving the lives of those that are feeling poorly. She uses her expertise to develop tailored treatment plans for each individual and her professional interests include electrochemotherapy and this is near and dear to my heart actually, histiocytic sarcoma. I lost two dogs to histiocytic mm. sarcoma so oh, that's, that's sorry. yeah that's near and dear to my heart. She also understands that many families will head to the internet after they get a diagnosis of cancer. So she wants them to be able to find the best information possible. So what she developed was the dog cancer roadmap program. So families would have a reliable resource for dog cancer information online. Having a dog diagnosed with cancer is very difficult. I know I had two dogs die of cancer within several months of one another. And nobody, but nobody should have to experience it alone. So thank goodness she has that resource available to you on her website, which we will also have a link to on our show notes. Um, She also does her own podcast, so bless her for coming on ours. Hers is called Your Dog Wants You to Know This. So if you want some more, if you haven't got enough of a dog fix with your family dog, check out Your Dog Wants You to Know This. So... Thank you so much, Dr. Cesario, for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me. Excited to be here.
1: Yeah, well, we're happy to have you here, too. So, Tina, (laughs) is that a long enough introduction for you to come up with a question?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I also earned a bachelor's degree while you were singing Lori's amazing praises. We're so (laughs) glad you're here. Um, And this is such an important topic for the families that we work with. Um, and the information's always changing. So, um, the great news is we're always learning more, which I'm assuming also translates to higher survivability rates. Um, one of our previous, uh, guests here on the podcast had a dog who just lost a leg to cancer. Um, and so we're, but they're pretty sure they got everything. So like, that's great news. So Karen, big shout out to your redhead and hoping she's feeling much better now and continues to do great. Um, so one of the things that I get a lot of questions about Dr. Cesario is about, are there any screening tests that can be done that allow a family to either rest or to be proactive in staying on top of cancer risk? For them? So can you speak to that?
2: hmm yeah, um, I, and you can call me Lori, by the way. Um, So right now I would say the two main screening tests are um, something called the BRAF test. Um, That's specifically for dogs with bladder cancer. Um, So things like transitional cell carcinoma, which is the most common type of bladder cancer. And the nice thing about that test is it just requires a urine sample. So all you need is for your dog to pee in a cup, basically, and then your vet can send off the urine sample um, in this special kind of collection tube. And that test can actually detect um, bladder cancer before any sort of mass or tumor is detected on ultrasound. Um, So that's really nice. So if you have a specific breed like a Scottish Terrier that's predisposed or at an increased risk for getting um, bladder cancer, then that might be something that you do every year or every six months, um, you know, with, in an attempt to catch it early. The most recent new thing for early detection is something called the NuQ cancer screening test. It's N U dot Q. Um, And that's actually something that just came out within the past few months, um, through joint effort between Texas A&M University and a company called Volition, and that's a blood test that's meant to be used for, like your normal healthy dog. You know, goes into the general practitioner for a yearly exam, routine blood work, and you just add on that test just to make sure that nothing else is going on that you wouldn't ordinarily detect. So right now that blood test is currently optimized to detect cancers like hemangiosarcoma and lymphoma. And hemangiosarcoma, if anyone listening has ever had an experience with that type of cancer, um, it's normally a cancer that we just don't typically have a great prognosis for just because it is often caught quite late in the course of disease. Um, And so this test is a really nice option for people, whether or not their dog is a breed that is at an increased risk for getting either of those cancers, but maybe even especially if their dog is at an increased risk for something like hemangiosarcoma, you know, if maybe you have a golden retriever, perhaps, you know, add on that blood test, maybe starting at mid-age. And even though it's, it's optimized for those two cancers, I know the, the researchers say that it can detect other cancers. Uh, more information will come out at how good it is at detecting those other types of cancers as we get used to using the test. So any veterinarian can run that test. Um, it can be, it just needs to be sent to Texas A&M for processing.
0: That's fantastic. It yeah, is. it's really exciting. A bunch of families are like writing that down. We'll be sure to yeah. put it in show notes. And I'm, I, it's in, you know, I am friends with lots and lots of vets. And I think in cases like hermangiosarcoma, where a dog comes in and they're going, uh oh, right? It's that, it's that, uh oh, we found something that the prognosis can be pretty pretty tough. Um, Mm -hmm. I know my, my female Doberman, I lost at five to osteosarcoma. Mm
2: -hmm. It was
0: one of those things where from the time we figured out, okay, something's wrong. She started limping to, she was very, very bad off, um, was like five days, Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: five days. And so for a lot of families, um, I think just the shock of the dog trips in the backyard and suddenly isn't weight bearing on a leg, and then the dog being basically terminal in five days is just such a shock. Mm -hmm. They're so good at hiding data from. Oh, that's exactly the problem. Yeah, I love that there are these options. So um, for bladder cancer, I've never had a dance with bladder cancer. Thankfully, Mm -hmm. Um, is that breed specific or are there other contributing factors like? early spaying or late spaying or not spaying at all? Like, yeah,
2: there, that's a
0: good question. Are there, because one of the things I would say is like, while, I mean, both, uh, Julie and I have some purebred dogs, they have purebred dogs. I also have mixed breed dogs. So the data of, you know, what, what is your dog going to face is mm-hmm. perhaps significantly different when you don't know, mm-hmm. like, okay, it's not a breed specific thing. So, mm-hmm. are there other contributing factors other than breeds that are predisposed to bladder cancer? Are there other things that would make us check like is it is it a female disease and not mm. a male like I, I don't know anything about it
2: so uh, so transitional transitional cell carcinoma in particular um has mostly been studied in Scottish terriers just because. Um, It is so much more common in that breed than other breeds. Um, There are a couple of other breeds that have an increased risk for it, but really it's um, Scottish Terriers are about 16 times more likely to develop it than other breeds. So we have more what we call um, more information about who is at risk just from Scottish Terriers. Um, So, you know, if you're a, a female, then you're, If you're a female Scottish Terrier, you're more at risk to develop it. Um, If you're an overweight female, then you're even more at risk to develop it. Um, If you are, if you were exposed to herbicides, like in the yard, then you're more at risk to develop it. If you are exposed to herbicides plus insecticides, then your risk increases even more. Um, That's mainly for Scottish Terriers. Another study showed that Scottish Terriers that ate uh, vegetables, specific types of vegetables, at least three times a week. Um, things like carrots or leafy greens, things like that, uh, had about a 30% reduction in the risk of transitional cell carcinoma. Um, so that's interesting. You know, we that hasn't necessarily been looked at for other types of cancer and in other breeds, but um, it's certainly a pretty easy thing to do. Um, if you have a Scottish Terrier and one, I, mean, I think mm-hmm.
0: families are empowered with information. Oh, like, of course, hey, adding some fresh fruits yeah, and vegetables, yeah, so easy or food to your dog's intake yeah. blesses them. Versus, you know, the whole like, oh my gosh, if you eat your, feed your dog people food, they'll die. Oh yeah, um, yeah, is huge, and it it seems to me to be a pretty straight line. Like, I don't think any of us, you know, we're three women would say that if we ate cereal, three meals a day, we would have ideal health. Probably, so not. I love yeah. the idea that we have some actual data that says real food can bless your dog. I, I think that that seems like kind of a obvious thing to me, but mm-hmm. it is not. It turns out often that. Yeah. Obvious. yeah. So I love to hear that.
1: I and would then, also um, like, the, uh-huh. oh, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You can finish that statement. And then what I'd love to hear you sure. talk about
2: is the relationship between diet, weight, and cancer. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, the only other thing that I was going to say is that a recent study showed that um, dogs seem to be, those those dogs that lived in a more rural environment um, seem to be maybe a little bit protected against developing Transitional cell carcinoma. Um, So that's a little bit interesting too. You know, maybe they're less exposed to certain chemicals living in a rural versus urban environment, and that can have some protective effect. Or Um,
0: maybe stress.
2: Yeah, that potentially too. Mm -hmm. And if people want to get more information about, you know, if their dogs breed, is at increased risk for a certain cancer, um, they can go to, and you guys will probably link this in the show notes, um, caninecanceracademy.com forward slash breeds. And there I have a list of over 90 breeds. So every breed of dog that's ever been linked with a certain type of cancer. So you can sort of see, um, you know, if your dog is at increased risk for, for any type of cancer. And if your dog's a mixed breed, then you can just kind of look at the breeds of the parents. And um, if you don't know what mixed breed your dog is, um, there's always like the genetic test option that's available as well. And that's certainly not to make anyone paranoid. I think it's just the more knowledge you have, they're probably better off you are. And then um, Julie, to answer your question, Sorry, I have a bad memory. What <laughs> is it again?
1: <laughs> um, what I was interested in is Not the relationship coffee. between diet. You oh yes, yes. The diet, weight, and cancer. And are, are there any known links between those things? So
2: that is a pretty difficult thing to study in veterinary medicine. Um, so I think we just don't have a lot of information. Um, there was one sense. study that showed. Uh, a older study that showed that dogs that had a higher percentage of calories in their diet from red meat had a higher incidence of memory cancer, but it's, it's only one study. You, you can't necessarily make any kind of sweeping conclusions just from one study. Um, there is evidence that obesity does increase the risk for certain types of cancers, Um, transitional cell carcinoma is one, um, mammary cancer is another, um, obesity can also increase the risk of certain joint diseases and joint diseases can increase the risk of certain types of cancers in the joint. Um, so there's that connection as well. I think there's also, it's also important to point out the golden retriever lifetime study. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that or if anybody's talked about that. Um, But for the listeners, basically that is a a lifetime study from puppyhood until the end of their life of over 3,000 golden retrievers, and it's being put on by Morris Animal Foundation. And the idea is really to have the first huge longitudinal study where you're really assessing these dogs' environment, what they're eating, what they're exposed to. Do they swim in water? What type of water? Is it pond, ocean, et cetera? What's their home environment like? Do they have carpet in their home? Do they have hardwood floors? What type? What are they eating? Do they eat kibble? Do they eat home cooked? Do they eat raw? Do they have vegetables? What type of vegetables? How often? How much? Um, What diseases have they had? What medications are they being exposed to? And throughout their life, every six months, they're getting physical exams, they're getting blood samples taken, they're getting hair and nail samples taken. And so they're trying to figure out what are the um, genetic environmental factors that contribute to cancer and other diseases. So after that study, we're going to have quite a bit more information, at least for golden retrievers. Um, you know, than we've ever had before and hopefully answer a lot of these other questions more specifically about, you know, diet and, um, and all these environmental factors that we kind of wish we had now.
1: Yeah. And of course, that's a perfect breed to do it on since goldens are probably one of the number one cancer. Exactly. That's exactly why they chose them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would, the other thing I was going to say about obesity is it seems to me, that um, even if it didn't increase the chances of a dog developing cancer, which I don't know if it does or doesn't, it seems to me that a dog who's obese is going to have a much more difficult time in responding to and recovering from cancer treatment, just like obesity can affect their recovery from, you know, just normal surgeries. Uh, So there's, I think, a good reason to keep your dog in good shape and at a good weight so that you have a healthy dog underneath the underlying cancer
2: yeah it does get a little bit complicated when we're trying to you know even dose a dog with chemotherapy who's very overweight you know because a larger portion of the body is is fat and then the question is always well do we dose them on their lean body weight so the portion that isn't fat or their actual weight and and so that's always a little bit of a quandary but Um, you know, certainly if a dog is more active and and going for long walks every day, um, then they're just going to feel better. And, you know, they're definitely going to be healthier than if they're, if they're overweight. And, and I agree with you, it's going to be just as they age a lot easier for them to get around and they're going to be more comfortable.
0: Well, wasn't there a, I thought there was a, it might've been a Purina study, that dogs that were overweight like their life was half as long and their their propensity for all sorts of manifestations of disease was hugely impacted by being overweight. Um I want to say that it cut life expectancy in half.
2: Oh really? And, I'm not familiar with that city. Uh, I know there've been some Say conflicting enough. studies on on either side so so there have been some studies that say that they live longer some that say Wait, that they live so shorter
0: trying to say that a that an obese dog has a better quality of life and lives longer. not
2: better quality but I, I think that there was <laughs> one study that yeah, said gonna, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna there's throw a, a protective a effect flag on
0: that particular play <laughs> right I, yeah, I, I, I don't know Where I teach group classes, they were doing a vaccine clinic on Sunday and there was a dog there whose head you guys can't see because we're talking on but we're talking on Skype. So the dog's head was like, I don't know, maybe a 12 inch long, you know, eight inch wide head. And I'm this is not hyperbole and I am prone to hyperbole. I'm pretty sure that was a one hundred and seven dog. He looked like one of those blown up balloon cartoon dogs and I it makes me so mad because I'm like okay I love you that is not the endocrine system like that is we're crazy overfeeding that dog like it's not like oh you know he had one too many milk bones when he came in from outside like oh it's so frustrating to me like I it makes me so sad for the dogs because they don't they're not most dogs in my experience anyway, are not going to self-regulate like it's what we're doing. And I, I guess I just take that stewardship pretty seriously trying to feed them healthy and well um, and to keep them in good weight. Cause
2: I think, um, you know, a big part of it is that most, you know, most dog owners probably don't realize that their pet is overweight. So You know, just going online and, um, you know, just looking at what a body condition score, you know, should be for a dog and having some reference point. There's something called the Wasava World Small Animal Veterinary Association, and they have guidelines for like what a normal weight should be and feeding recommendations and all of that. And just kind of looking at their description of what a body condition score of, Four or five is out of nine. Yeah, so just taking a look at the the photo and also like what you're supposed to feel when you're touching the dog, um, I think would be really helpful for people. You could just Google W S A V uh, A body condition score, and it tells you, you know, when you when you feel their back, when you feel their sides, when you feel their abdomen. Um, what is it supposed to feel like and what is it supposed to look like? And that will give you an idea as well.
1: What I was going to say is Colleen Pilar and I did one on, is my dog the right weight? Yeah. And she had a great little system that um, I'll link to that particular episode. But what she said was if, if you take your hand and you make a fist and you run your finger over your knuckles, and yeah. you can really feel the divot. Your dog is too skinny. If your hand is fat and you run all across the tendons across you hold your hand flat, run your hand across the tendons on the back of your hand, that's how it should, the ribs should feel. You can feel a little bit of space between Yes. Them. If you turn your hand over and you run along the base of your fingers, you can feel a divot, but it's kind of squishy, mm-hmm. your dog's overweight. And then if you palpate by the base of your thumb or the other part of your hand and you can't feel anything, your dog's obese. Mm-hmm. So that's a quick little yeah, measurement that people can use. But I do like the fact that, you know, not everybody's a, a, a touchy kind of person being able to go to the website, see the information, understand it, get the diagram, I think is really important for, for weight. Getting back to our cancer dogs yeah. though, one of the questions I had, I was really interested you saying that, uh, you're committed to maintaining a high quality of life in patients that are feeling well and improving the lives of patients that are feeling poorly. How do you improve the life of patients who are feeling poorly? What are the kinds of things that you can do to
2: help your dog feel better? So I think it's important to just look at the big picture, Um, you know, because sometimes, you know, somebody will come in with their dog and their dog's quality of life will be impacted from their cancer. And so then we just have to do the best job that we can improving their quality of life from their cancer. And so normally that requires, um, or in many cases uh, to do the best job requires, you know, treating their cancer to alleviate the signs, um, whatever those may be, whether it's um, nausea or soft stool, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of like a two pronged approach. Like we, we treat the cancer, which reduces the signs. And, and while we're waiting to see if our treatment's going to work, then we also give whatever supportive meds we think are going to help, whether it's an anti-nausea medication, um, pain medication, or anti-diarrhea medication, um, whatever we think it's is going to work and, and whatever the client is up for. Um, other times, somebody will come in and their dog will uh, just have been diagnosed with cancer. Maybe they had the tumor removed. And so the surgical site looks great. You know, they're, they're healing. And they're very, very concerned that their dog is in pain because they maybe quote unquote have cancer, but it's in removed. Um, and so their, their primary concern is the tumor and the dog's discomfort because of the tumor. And so I look at the dog and I say, okay, well, the tumor has been removed. The surgeon did a great job, got margins. Um, This is not an aggressive tumor. So, you know, it, your dog should not uh, succumb to this, you know, it should die from something else. So that's great. But, you know, I'll, I'll see the dog and it will barely be able to get up because it just has this debilitating arthritis. Um, which actually isn't being treated. Um, and so its quality of life is really not impacted from the cancer, um, but it is from the arthritis and it has been for probably the past few years. And and that really hasn't been addressed, um, but we can just make a big impact there. And so because that happened rather gradually over time, sometimes it's hard to really see that if you're living with the dog versus a diagnosis like cancer that maybe kind of happens all of a sudden. Um it's more kind of obvious. Um does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So Lori, are there some resources
0: that you know of? This if not, maybe we need to make one. Um, of just like a so if you think about it, like for most of us we have to get our car inspected once a year. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and yes, our dogs ideally are going to the vet and getting checkups every six months or every year. Um, but are there some good at home? Like, I don't know, I do a breast exam every month cause we're supposed to do a breast exam every month. Mm-hmm. So is there some sort of chart that families can download and utilize to be like, okay, here are the things that if we're going to help our dogs, um, Veterinary staff and and support staff maintain this dog's ideal health. Is there like a systems check that we can we can do at home to self assess? Like, hey, something changed because I would agree. Yeah, like it changes so slowly over time. Mm-hmm. I think, and if we can catch stuff earlier, the outcomes are much better.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think. Um, I think one thing is just maybe just try to be cognizant and just kind of ask yourself, you know, how is my dog's quality of life? Does he still do the same things that he used to do? Maybe just realize that, you know, slowing down and old age might, there might be a reason for it. So slowing down could be pain due to arthritis, you know. It might not just be that he doesn't have the energy. It might be that he has pain. And so that's why he's slowing down. Um, understanding that arthritis actually starts in in young age and just being aware of the signs of arthritis um, and things like that. And, and when you go to your vet visit, just make sure that you communicate with your vet when you go on a yearly basis um, that you do want to do everything possible for your dog and you do want to make sure that he has or she has the best quality of life and that you do want to be proactive i was going to add that
1: um colleen and i did do a, a podcast called a monthly health checkup and yeah. it's a list of things that you can go down and just check off yes no, yeah, yes, that's no great. yes no, yes, no And so we'll do a link for that. It's Mm -hmm. certainly not the same thing as having your vet examine your dog, but Mm -hmm. it will give you a clue. If you're doing it on a regular basis, you're gonna catch the changes more quickly Mm -hmm. than if you don't. Oh, for sure. And then then the other one we had is we had Dr. Karis from um, Tufts University on to talk about elder dog care. And she also has a checklist that is specifically designed for elderly dogs. It's another Mm -hmm. one of those, you know, check yes or no or whatever. And that's great because you can, it, it prints out, I think for like a week at a time and it's just, you check it off on a daily basis. So for your elderly dogs who are not doing well, that's really handy. And then you can also just hand it to your vet and say, this is what I've noticed. What do you think this means? So I think both of the, the, the monthly health checkup and then the one from Dr. Karis, and we'll make links for both of those. Yeah, that's perfect.
0: Well, and honestly, from a, from a behavior standpoint, anytime we're practicing that invasive handling with our dogs and we're making that a positive experience, mm-hmm. it's it much easier on the mm-hmm. animal and the veterinary staff when the dog, especially like during That's a now, where everybody's side, right. like mm-hmm. it, we can't do happy visits the way we were doing them two years ago. Mm-hmm. So being able to practice those handling techniques and restraints and feeling all the parts that maybe we don't always touch on our dogs yep. it, and doing that in a really positive comfortable way it seems to me would kind of help make that inv- what probably feels a little bit like an alien abduction to dogs feel a little bit better
1: mm-hmm. I'll
0: be I'll be all excited to to go and listen to those podcasts from the the land before me
2: <laughs> and I guess I would say that if there's some way that, so number one, um, if there's some way that you can monitor your dog's weight, I think that's very helpful because if a dog is losing weight, that's usually a sign that something's going on and we just don't always realize that. Um, so if your dog is small, obviously that's easier because you can just take him or her on the scale with you. But if a dog is larger, can um, you do it with measurements? Like, can you
0: measure collar? Like for us, I mean, a lot of mm-hmm. times body measurements, right? Can we, for a larger dog, or maybe even an, an older dog who's arthritic or has mm-hmm. some pain, being picked up isn't comfortable. No longer, I'll mm-hmm. walk our dog into the vet's office and climb on yeah. the seat and check it. Can can measurements, even if just comparative, dog thirty days ago to dog today, can that be helpful?
2: I would say that I've never heard of anyone using that, although, um, yeah, maybe if you just take a measurement around their waist, that could be, a like, a rough correlation. Um, another backup would be to go, like, places like Petco and stuff. I think they still have scales, so that could be it. I haven't been in a... Mm. Um, I places would say that color
0: girth changes.
2: Yeah, that's another... Right, as like well, if you're
0: constantly having to get a bigger collar,
2: yeah. They'd have to be losing a lot of weight, but for sure, if you constantly have to tighten up the collar, then they're definitely losing weight for or, sure. That's or a good point. The
0: collar,
2: that's too, yes. Well, what I was gonna
1: say is that Clementine, this is my clumber spaniel, has so much loose skin that it's kind yeah, of, I mean, the she's got a big collar, and it's not because she's a big dog, it's because she's. She's Clementine, and she's got all this loose skin. So measurements, I'm not sure, would work as well on her simply because she's got this floppy skin.
0: <laughs> so I w- So what I would say, Julie, is I'm actually uh, because you would be comparing Clementine to Clementine, not Clumber Spaniel to Sighthound. I think you would still at least have a range of idea of are we gaining or losing because it's. Her skin's not gonna suddenly start doing all like I I think because you're doing a study of one, a comparison is probably fair. You should guess,
2: try it. I guess the other thing would be if you if if you guys, if the listeners get used to doing the body condition score, you know, if if originally your dog is a six or a six and a half, and then all of a sudden it's a five and a half, well then they probably lost weight. Um, so then that would be a reason to um, get your dog assessed.
0: Well, and I tell people all the time, if you're increasing how much your dog is eating and they're losing weight, we got a problem and a big mm-hmm. problem. And if you're feeding the same amount and your dog is getting heavier and heavier and heavier, we also have a big problem. Now it might be mm-hmm. that you're overfeeding and you have been for a long time and their, their phase of life has changed, right? I'm 51. If I eat like I did when I was 25 the number would keep going up um but and that is true for our dogs too i think one of the things that i hear a lot from families with dogs who are heavy is i'm feeding what it says to feed on the bag and i'm like okay well if your dog is supposed to weigh 45 pounds but it weighs 60 pounds and you read what it says to feed a 60 pound dog on the bag your dog's gonna weigh 70 pounds because we're overfeeding. It's more about body condition. And I hear yeah, exactly. that that's what you're saying as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so Dr. Cesario, if to, to wrap this up, if there were three things that you would want our listeners to know about cancer and their dogs, what would that be?
2: Let's see. <clears throat> I guess I would say um, the first thing would be and I guess we we didn't talk about this really, but um, it's always important to get an accurate diagnosis and and don't assume. And so, if your dog develops a lump or a bump, um, try and get a diagnosis with a needle aspirate. So just have your vet poke it to find out what it is. Um, most things that you know feel squishy and soft and look like benign tumors, which we call lipomas for the most part, tumors of fat, most of them are going to be lipomas, but um, the only way we know for sure is to actually take a sample and find out that there's fat inside. And so what, I, what I've seen way too many times is you know, somebody will uh, point out that, oh, my dog has a tumor um, and their fat will say, oh, it's probably a lipoma and it won't be sampled and then lo and behold, six months later, um, it turns out that it, it got much bigger. And it's, in fact, not a lipoma. It was actually cancer all along. So you always want to just don't ask your vet to look at it. Ask for a diagnosis. That way you know for sure it's fat um, and nothing necessarily to worry about. Um, so that would be my my number one tip. You always want to get accurate information. Um, number two, um, you know your dog best. You know You know what they feel like on a normal day. And if that changes, um, you know, something could be up. Certainly, you know, if they got into the garbage or if they ate something that they weren't supposed to, um, you know, they're they're not gonna feel good. But if something lasts longer than 12 to 24 hours, I would say, you know, don't blow it off. Um, especially if they're middle aged to older, just try and um, you know, get them evaluated. And if somebody can't figure out, you know, if if person number one can't figure out what's going on, it, it doesn't mean that nobody can. It just means that maybe they don't have the right tools at their clinic to figure out what's going on. Um, so then you might really be benefited by seeing a specialist, like an internal medicine specialist. And number three, I would say... <clears throat> having pet insurance, good pet insurance, um, there's good and bad pet insurance, um, is a really good investment, you know, cause at, at some point in time, most dogs have some sort of event, um, where they require some sort of expensive medical bill. Um, and if it's always nice to just take the money part out of the equation, because those times are just so stressful, um, to have to try and make the best decision is difficult enough rather than also trying to figure out, you know, what's the right financial decision and having that um, stress as well. If you don't want pet insurance for whatever reason, uh, then you can always just kind of make a little uh, savings account for your dog. But there are some really, really quite good pet insurances for dogs these days that cover um, even 90% of all treatment costs
0: how often, um Dr. Cesario, should people be trying to re-educate themselves about all the cancer screenings and all that stuff? Is it all changing constantly?
2: That is a very good question. I guess I would say, you know new new tests are not coming out super frequently. Um, but new studies, you know are are coming out not infrequently. I know that's a very vague answer. I do actually have, and I didn't mention this to you guys, um, a program called the Happy Healthy Dog Guide, where I, do, I did list all of the published information on what increases and decreases a dog's risk of cancer to summarize for dog owners. That's fantastic. And also signs of pain to look for, early signs of arthritis, um, how to know if you have a good vet, when to get a second opinion, what do all the different specialty vets do. Um, just try to be like an overall guide for people as well. Um, no, what a great resource! I tra- yeah, it just seemed like that was missing, um, and all that information is just so important. And it does have everything about early diagnosis and signs to look for.
1: Great. Could you repeat that again? So we'll make where where, where somebody can find that. So in case somebody is frantically
2: trying to write it down. Yeah, it's called um, the Happy Healthy Dog Guide. And actually, if if they if they go to uh the caninecanceracademy.com forward slash breeds and they get my free breed guide where it has the list of all the breeds and their associated cancers, um, then they'll actually get a few emails describing this program and and how it can help. Because the program basically is like a comprehensive guide to all of the literature that's ever been published on what increases or decreases a dog's risk of cancer, as well as a whole bunch of other quality of life information, like um, nutrition information, signs of pain, early signs of arthritis, um, how to know if you have a good vet, um, what types of vets exist, Like qualifications, if you're interested in a holistic veterinarian, um, specialty vets, all of those things. Early screening tests. That's fabulous. Thank you.
0: I encourage people constantly, like you need a veterinary team. Knowing in your community, like what makes each of those vets' hearts sing and what are they beautifully interested in is a huge help. So that my dogs are like best served by having really like people way smarter and more gifted than I am to be on the team.
2: Yeah. And I mean, having all of those people on your team and in your corner, just yeah, then you're continually learning as well. All right. Well, thank you so
1: much, Dr. Cesari. There's been a lot of great, great information. Thank
0: you. This is great. And anytime you have something exciting that you want to come back and talk to us, we'd love to have you. Oh, perfect. Thank you. I'd be happy to come back.
1: Yes, absolutely. That would be great. Um, And we will have links to all the things that we talked about today. And in fact, I think I was just thumbing through my whole dog journals. I think there's an article in one of those on how to choose pet insurance. Oh, nice. So I can put a I can put a link for that on the, okay, the side as well. I have to find it. I know it's in there somewhere and in my big stack of whole dog journals. So um, thank you so much for coming on uh, your family dog and make sure y'all who are listening to check out her podcast, your dog wants you to know this, as well as the um, canine what was it? Canine Cancer Lots of good information there. So With that, we'll see you all next time on Your Family Dog.
2: Thanks for listening
0: to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting idea? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.